John chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 1. Uh, I want to read uh, verse 3 verses, and we're going to focus on verse 3 this morning, all right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Uh, would you join me in a word of prayer? And let's just ask God to do what I've uh, hoped to do this morning, and that's to magnify Christ. Uh, after this sermon, that you'll leave here magnifying the Creator Christ, who made all things, and there is nothing that was made that He didn't make. And then understanding some of the implications of that fact. Let's go to the Lord. Uh, Father, I come to you and thank you that you have given us uh, this text to tell us about yourself expressed in your Son, the second person in the Godhead. And I pray that we will magnify your Son, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When you come to John chapter 1, and John's writing to a, a mixed group of people, but think just for a moment about the Jewish audience. What would they have heard? In the beginning was the Logos. They understood the Logos to be the power behind all creation. What could they have heard about who this Logos is? John's presenting the Logos as the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 14, very clearly, became flesh. God became flesh. And everyone listening about what John had to say, who was Jewish, would have thought, no one can create except God. And then John says, and by the way, Jesus Christ created all things. He's clearly communicating that the Lord Jesus Christ is not only the Lord Jesus Christ who is coming to the world to save sinners from sin, but to save sinners whom he created and reclaimed them to himself. In fact, what the Jewish people would have heard John say very clearly is that God came in flesh. Jesus Christ is Lord. Paul picks up on this in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. I'm going to look at different passages. You're welcome to turn or look in your device in 1 Corinthians 8. Paul says, therefore, as to eating of food offered to idols, we know that an, an idol has, has no real existence. And there's no God but one. Now, Paul's saying to a reasonable mind, idols are nothing. There's only one God. Think about it again, his Jewish audience would have said, yeah, we know that. Uh, from the time a Jewish little boy or girl had grown up, they'd heard their parents tell them that there is one God from the Shammai in Deuteronomy 6. And, and so Paul's just affirming what they know. There's only one, one God, only one true God. And then he says, for there are many so-called gods in heaven and on earth, or in earth. In other words, there are lots of people who claim to be God or claim that others are God. Uh, Vishnu, for the Hindus, or there's this cosmic reasoning out there for them, or maybe Buddha who has an energy that would be considered the higher power. Buddha never claimed to be God, but took diversion away from our God to point to a reasoning power. Or the Muslim would say, Allah is God. Paul would agree. There are a lot of those who would say there are powers that are claiming to be God. There are little gods, but we know there's only one true God. And yet for us, it is God the Father, he says in verse 6. And then he said this about God the Father. Follow this. All things 
were made and for whom all things exist. And the Jewish person would say, that's right. That's exactly what we've learned. It's what we agreed on for all of our life. There's one God. He's the creator. He made all things. We learned this in the very beginning in Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created. Then Paul said, and there's one Lord. Yes, we know. There's one God, one God, the Father, and one Lord, one Lord being Jehovah. And then Paul says, Jesus Christ. That's mind-blowing for some. If anyone ever says to you, uh, the Bible never says Jesus is God or Jesus never claimed to be God, it's only because they've never read the Bible. It's very plain and very clear that Jesus, in fact, is God. In fact, here it says that Jesus Christ is Lord. And he, Paul said, he, that is Jesus Christ, is whom all things are through and through whom we exist. Like we don't even exist apart from the reality that Christ is our creator. So let's go back to John chapter 1, and let's just think about Jesus Christ, our creator this morning, so that we might exalt Christ. That is the goal. Today, really, I have one goal, and that is to exalt Christ. Are y'all with me? Good. Like if you go home and go, what was the sermon about? Just say, it was about Christ. It was about Christ. What things did Christ create? Look in John chapter 1, verse 3. All things. I love when things are that clear, don't you? I don't know if y'all received a letter in the mail like I did recently. I would imagine many of you did. That told us that our garbage collection tax is going up. And I'm reading this letter. And I, okay, I like getting my garbage picked up. I don't know about y'all. I mean, Friday is garbage day for us. It's always a freeing day for me to get rid of stuff. Like, I love that. Uh, so it's more expensive to pick up some, that's fine. Taxes are going up. If you have a problem with that, you can go, I guess, and talk to people who are in charge. Some of you might even be here. I was thinking about going, not because I have a problem with it, but because I can't get a letter that actually I can understand. You go, Scott, come on, man. Well, I mean, I have taken Greek and Hebrew. And I'm not proficient in those things, but I did have to pass exams on exegesis. But I look at a letter and I'm like, What does this mean? I think it means my taxes are going up. Just tell me how much I pay, how much I'm going to pay. I would really appreciate that. What is that tirade, Scott? It's not about that. It's about I like things plain. I like things clear. Paul says Jesus Christ is Lord. John says he is the creator. And by the way, anything that's made, he made it. In the negative, there's nothing that exists he didn't make. That's really clear. Paul says in Colossians, for by Christ, who is the expression of God, all things were created in heaven and earth, whether they're visible or invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities or other things. They were other created by the Lord God Almighty. All things, he says, were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. That is, he's preexistent and everything holds together by him. Everything not only was made by him, but the second person in the Trinity existed before creation and the universe. And indeed, the Bible defines Jesus Christ as our creator. He created all things. So why did he create all things? I mean, why are we even here? Why why, Why is there hundreds of millions of stars, billions of stars and galaxies in our universe? There's a reason. Here in John chapter 1, drop down to verse 14. It's a beautiful reason. 
and the Word. Who is the Word, y'all? Jesus. That was very many plain. So the Word became flesh. Jesus came and dwelt among us, and we've seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus came that we might see some of the glory of God, but ultimately that we would see all of the glory of God. His glory is beyond our imagination and understanding. We've seen it in the incredible incarnation of Christ who came and was born in a little place called Bethlehem in a manger and then rose to great prominence through his teaching and signs to show, in fact, that he is God in the flesh, died on the cross, rose from the dead, and ascended to the right hand of the Father and is coming back. We've seen a little bit of the glory of the Father in his power and his work. We've seen a little bit of the glory of heaven and glory in his love for us through the crucifixion and resurrection. He came to show us glory. Why did God then create all things? Why did Christ speak everything to existence? to show us a little bit of his incredible glory. The person of the Godhead, Christ, exists to exercise divine communicable attributes to us, and one of those is to show us his glory and do that because, why? Because, why? Because he loves us. I was reading this commentary by Bruce Milne on this subject, and here's what he said, and I agreed right off the bat in his commentary on verse 3, Bruce Milne said, Love's instinct is to create. I had to work that out in my mind. He didn't go into a lot of detail about it. I did a lot more in my thinking and meditating on that. Love's instinct is to create. But beyond that, here's what I would say. Love's instinct is to share that creation. If I've created something worthwhile, uh, then I want to share that with those that I love. So Milne said, out of the unique communion of love, communion. What is communion? It's fellowship. Out of the unique fellowship or communion of love. Okay, we, we, we get it, Bruce. You're talking about somebody who has love for each other, and they're in deep fellowship. Who are they? God and the Word, he said. God the Father, the Word, the Lord Jesus Christ, or the Father and the Son. They have this incredible love and communion, and out of that love and communion springs creation by the Word of God, both expressed by John positively, everything that's made was made by him, and negatively, nothing that exists was not made by him. So, in other words, because of the love God has for us and the love Jesus has for the Father, they wanted to share that love for us by giving us this creation. That's what we do. Love creates. I've done this before. You've done it as well. I've been eating an incredible meal. I'm like, this is an incredible meal. I mean, this steak is incredible. You ever had a, just a, one of those deals where you're like, this thing is awesome. It's usually, too, when I'm eating something that I'm not with my wife, I'm, at a, I'm somewhere where someone else is paying the bill. That even makes it taste better. You know what I mean? And I think in that moment, I wish Leslie were here to have this meal with me. I go, I'm going to tell her about the meal. It's an incredible meal. We got some... Have you ever been a place where you're there and you thought, this is, look at this place. This is an amazing place. I wish my family were here to experience this with me. We all have that. We have that experience in our lives regularly where we want others to hear this song. You got to hear this song. You, we've done that. We've done this this week. We were sharing, hey, listen to this song. I love this song. It could be as simple as a meme. Check out this meme, and you laugh out loud. 
And you go, this is, thank you for sharing that with me because we love to share with those whom we love, right? We love to share with those whom we love. The creation demonstrates the love of God for us and that he communicates because love not only creates, love communicates. You've heard me say it on so many occasions that I've grown as a husband, I've learned to communicate better and even over-communicate when necessary to my wife. Because there have been many times, can I just be transparent? She would be okay with me telling you this, that I thought I said something to her that I never said, but I did think it. And thinking it's not the same thing as saying it. Has anyone else heard that, found out the hard way that it's just not the same to think it? And our Lord loves us and has communicated, and many ways has he communicated. Many, many ways has he communicated in these last days through his son. But in here, this son whom he's communicated through, he has used the creation. No wonder, look in John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. If you see in the beginning and you think Genesis 1, 1, you're thinking properly because that's exactly what John wants us to think. But all the way back to the beginning, God created all things. And in the beginning was the Word, the Word, the Logos. The Logos we talked about last week, just in way of review, is the idea that there's reason behind everything that exists. This word Logos in the Greek is, the, is translated word here. The word logos in the Greek that's translated the word here was coined by Heraclitus. Heraclitus is the guy maybe you studied in school or you will study in school who said, you never enter into the same river twice. Remember that? Because that river is always moving and changing. But behind that change in chaos, as it were, in the universe, he said, there has to be some sort of control because things aren't just spinning on their own. Something has to be controlling all the chaos or we would cease to exist. Creation couldn't last, which led Socrates and Plato to begin to think that through even further and say behind this chaos is a controller, but the controller is this ultimate logos in the universe that it has to be the God of all things. They weren't thinking about our God necessarily, but they were coming down the road and thinking through things logically that if things do exist and stay in order, there has to be someone keeping it in order. That's very smart. The Jews grabbed onto that, and some of their philosophers said, well, there's beyond that a reason behind our God, who is the one who's keeping all things in order. And then you heard me say, and I didn't do a very good job with this last week, I know, talking about a proprietary uh, word, but John takes this word, and he's not just borrowing from the Greeks or the Jews. He says, no, you need to understand, you're coming up with something that already existed. There's always been a reason behind everything that has been created, and it's held together by that reason. And that reason, or that logos, is Jesus. That would have been mind-blowing for a Jew. It really is for us, too. I mean, I dare you tomorrow. I dare you tomorrow. Go to somebody whom you know is probably agnostic or maybe even has told you so, or they're atheistic, or you go to your school and you just say to your friends, hey, you know, I know there are billions of uh, galaxies out there in our universe and billions of stars, and you know what? <laughs> Jesus spoke them all into existence. And they're going to look at you and go, what? You believe that? I do with all my heart. And I know why he did it, because he wanted to communicate to us this one who was uncreated, that through creation we can know him. So then, again, look at verse 3. Not only all things, what things are created, all things, but all things came into being through him. Apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Now, this goes a little bit deeper than just the fact that he created things. He created all things, and then he directs all things. 
He made all things. Think about Matthew chapter 10, verse 29, where there Jesus is saying that he understands and knows um, about creation, particularly in a way that we can't. God the Father knows the sparrow, and he made the sparrow, spoke the sparrow into existence, and directs the sparrow, including knows when the sparrow is going to die and attends his funeral. It's amazing, isn't it? God has spoken everything into existence, including the birds. But he didn't just speak them into existence. He directs them. And I wonder sometimes about that in my own mind, because I've got an incredible picture window in my office. I love it, because I love to be able to see outside. And I have, every once in a while, a bird that falls in love with himself, and it's that window. I had a bird to do this for three weeks straight. When is this bird going to realize that that's him in the window? But God's directing that bird. I don't mean that he's directing him to run into my window necessarily, but I mean that there's not one thing that God doesn't direct in creation because not only has he created all things, he directs all things and keeps all things. I want you to think about this. Barnes, in his commentary on this subject, some of you have the Barnes notes. It's really a a good resource. You can find it online for free. He said this, that our God created all things, and with Christ's agency, he brought it about. In other words, God's the creator and Christ is the agent. God is the creator, Christ spoke it. This is a strong way of speaking designed to be confirmed through any possibility of doubt. Designed to be confirmed without any possibility of doubt. That there is a creator and there is an order. So therefore, design. Design. He says, therefore, in general, that all things were made by Christ. In this part, he shuts out all doubt and affirms that there is no exception, that there is not a single thing, however minute, unimportant, which was not made by him. Take Paul's cosmology, for instance, in Colossians chapter 1, things on heaven and earth, all the way up to the highest of the heavens, to the earth, visible and invisible, things seen, those things that you have to observe under a microscope, thrones and dominions, rulers and authorities, even talking about angels and demons. Everything, everything, everything is made by Christ. And he made everything out of nothing. This again goes to the Jewish mind. The Jewish mind who was listening to John, writing John, would have thought, because this is what they were taught, that there was this primordial soup that God mixed up and made everything out of, except that Hebrews chapter 11 tells us that we know the worlds were framed by God out of nothing. We use this term ex nihilo, which is Latin for out of nothing, that Jesus spoke everything because he's the word by word into existence. So are you following this? He spoke, the word spoke everything by his word into existence. It didn't make anything that is out of something. So when the materialist comes along and says, hey, you know, we kind of agree with you guys that there had to be a, a big bang and a beginning of everything, but everything came from something, you would say, but it can't because the first law of science, and don't you like when science agrees with the Bible? It doesn't give me more faith in the Bible. It just, as Adrian Rogers says, tells me that science is finally catching up with the Bible. He would say, science doesn't give me more trust in the Bible. It's just when science agrees with the Bible, it gives me more trust in science. And when you see this, you see that there has to be a time when all things created, but the first law of science says matter can't be created or destroyed. In other words, everything came from nothing. The first law of science agrees that there has to be a first cause of everything. God says that he came from nowhere, whatever was created, the uncreated one created everything, and therefore we have 
this world. Now, we can be very creative. Humans can. I, I just mentioned that sometimes I'm creative, and I can be creative sometimes, not as much as some of you, but our creative abilities come from God. We don't really, in fact, create anything in reality because we just synthesize what God's already given us. We can't ever do what God does. We can't ever speak stuff into existence, for instance. The reason I say that is because just this week someone showed me a video of this so-called preacher, and I say so-called, and I'm being very nice, who said that he spoke a squirrel into existence. And immediately I thought, liar, right? That's ridiculous. And the reason that he said this, and there's a lot behind this, and I knew some of the story already, is that his mentor said that he spoke a squirrel into existence. So this preacher says he's out deer hunting. Did you hear me say deer hunting? Any deer hunters in the room? If you're deer hunting and God tells you what this preacher said God told him, the preacher tells him, that, tells us, this so-called preacher, that God told him to speak a squirrel to existence while he's deer hunting. You know he's lying right away because if I'm a deer hunter, I'm not, won't care, I can care less about a squirrel. I'm going to speak a deer in it. Come on, man. I mean, a trophy. I want it on the wall kind of deer. And he's deer hunting and he speaks a squirrel into existence. And you're going, that's just ludicrous. And it is ludicrous because we have no ability to speak anything into existence. You say, why would you use such a crazy illustration? Because there's actually people who believe that nonsense. But there, there's another reason, a more important reason, that we can't speak anything into existence. We cannot name it and claim it, dream it and achieve it. Everything that we have is because of Christ. Everything we are is because of Christ, and everything we'll ever attain spiritually will be because Christ does it in us. John's just trying to get the audience ready to hear this. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Oh, wait a minute. I can do something. No, you cannot. Oh, I can too, and I can prove it. But let me just ask you what that will prove to God. You can do something, but if you do it outside the will of God and outside the glory or for the glory of God, one day it's all going to be burned up and be gone. And you'll say, everything I accomplished on earth was nothing because I didn't do it for Christ and his glory and through Christ. That's what he's getting us ready for. And so what we see here is John telling us that Christ has created all things. He's also speaking, secondly, to a group of people who are Gnostics. And I have to tell you this because you got to know what John's saying here and why he's saying it. He's already dealing with people who say they have the secret knowledge of God and that they can know God through their secret intuitions, visions, and dreams, and so on. And John's trying to say, you don't know God except through Christ because he's the one who's the creator. Apart from Christ, you can know nothing. Whatever Gnosticism was and whatever it is now, we know God one way, through Christ as revealed in Scripture. So when someone says to you, hey, God told me, that's when you either need to perk up and then the next phrase will either cause you to lean in or check out. I mean, I grew up in a church. Lots of people always saying, hey, God told me. God told me. I thought that was normal. I thought this, I mean, people, man, they've got a secret prayer closet. They're going in there. God's talking to them and telling them things. I, I would follow after some of them because, you know, I, I just want to know what God wants. I want to do what God wants. And God's telling these people who are more spiritual than I am and way down the road than I am. And God's talking to them and I want to listen to them. But God has given us his son and spoken to us through his son in these last days. And he has done that so that we might know him through 
his spoken logos, the word, which is the word of God. We know the word of life through the word of God. I don't know if I agree with that, Scott. I want you to follow this because I want you not to be misled by so many false doctrines. There's so many out there today. There's so many out there today. So many out there today. Paul uh, tells us that Jesus Christ is the one who is the expression of God. John is saying the same thing in this sense. He has created all things, and why has he done it? So that he might communicate to us his incredible power and his glory. Well, why, why, even, why even do this? Well, John doesn't leave it for question. Like, I, I'm not going to come up here and tell you what I think and that I got a word from God, except for I have a word from God, and this is when you lean in when it's from the word of God. So John said in John chapter 20, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written. John, why did you start here? You could have said so much about Jesus Christ, as we covered last week. I mean, he knew him intimately. He had his mother living in his house. Why do you tell us these things about Christ, about him being the creator? So that, John says, so that you would believe in him, and by believing in him, you might have life in his name. What kind of life will John tell us we can have in the name of Jesus? Well, the quality of life. We can't have an abundant life apart from Christ, the creator who made us and knows how we are then going to have fulfillment. We only have a good quality of life through Christ and really the right quality of life through him and quantity of life, which is eternal life. You've heard me use this illustration before, but I did hunting just a moment ago. There's some fishermen in here, right? I know there are, because after the last service, I had some ladies come up to me and show me the fish they just caught. And they put me to shame. And I asked the question, if you're a real fisherman, if you're a real fisherman, you've heard this before, do you want quality fish or quantity? Every fisherman knows if he goes saltwater fishing, he doesn't want to catch catfish. Those are not quality fish. You want good, I mean, you want redfish, right? Oh my goodness, redfish on a half shell. You want trout, right? You want drum. You want some wahoo. You don't even have to cook that. And if you're a real fisherman, you not only want good quality fish, you want a good quantity of fish. I don't just want one. Let's have a fish fry. Let's feed the neighbors, right? This is what John's leading us up to. Our creator not only gives us good quality of life, He gives us quantity of life. He is able to do that. Now, I have some illustration here. We'll maybe deal with another day because of where I am in time. But here's what Christ does through creation. He discloses his power to do just what I said. He can give us a quality of life, a quantity of life, because he's the creator. And he has disclosed his power through creation. So let's think about this for a moment. Psalm 19. You know the psalm, don't you? If not, know it, learn it, go home and meditate on it. All right, here it is. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Can we agree that that is true? The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky proclaims His handiwork. And I'm not going to go all the way through this, but he talks about the sun and how God directs the sun and how we just incredibly see God's power in creation. No one goes to the beach and says, I want to go see the sunrise because they want to feel good about themselves. They want to go to the beach and see the sunrise because they know there's something bigger than me. And I need something bigger than me. And we see it in creation. We see it in creation. Creation reveals the greatness of our creator. And the greatness of our creator points to the greatness of Christ. The vastness of creation points to the vastness of Christ and his incredible wisdom. 
So in creation, we see the greatness of Christ. We see the wisdom of God. In Proverbs 3.19, the Lord by wisdom founded the earth. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he knew how to frame it. He established the heavens. Proverbs 8.30, O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom, you have made them all. And the earth is full of your creatures. So in looking at this, knowing that he's the creator, then if I'm really going to come to that place where I have a good quality of life, quantity of life, I've got to know this creator who made all things by the word of his power in wisdom. You want to know the makeup of man? Go to school and study anthropology. You want to know who made man? Study Christ. You're interested in the ages of rocks? Study geology. But you want to know the rock of ages? Study Christ. You're interested in flowers? Take a botany class. But you want to know the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valley? Then study Christ. You want to know how life is ordered? Study biology. You want to know who orders all things, including genders? Study the Creator. You want to know reason and logic? Study epistemology. You want to know true reason? You want to know true judgment? Study the one whom Paul talked about in Acts 7 on Mars Hill and says, this is the one who is the creator of all things and is your judge. You want good judgment? You can't know good judgment without knowing the judge of all things, Paul would say. Study Christ if you want to be wise. David said, I have become more wise than all my teachers. I have more insight than them all because I have Christ. You have the mind of Christ, Paul says. Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians. Yet many want to be mature and impart wisdom, although it is not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages of glory. Paul, what are you talking about? I'm telling you, I know wisdom that is beyond anything anyone's ever learned on this earth. And everyone who says they have wisdom that's not this wisdom will pass away with their knowledge along with them. None of the rulers of this age understood it. If they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But then he says this, listen to me very carefully here. But as it is written, what not, no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. That is not Paul talking about heaven or the afterlife. Paul is saying what we could have never imagined, what we had never ever entered into our heart, God has given to us. He's revealed it. He says these things, verse 10, has God revealed to us through his spirit? Sometimes we just don't read far enough along in the text. I left here, I think it was last Sunday, and I heard a preacher saying that we don't know what Paul's thorn in the flesh was. And I was like, how do you not know you're a preacher? The thorn in the flesh, Paul says, is a demon, a messenger of Satan. I mean, it's right there in the text. Very clear, very straight up. We have this revealed to the Spirit of God who searches everything, even the depths of God, who knows a person's thought except the Spirit, right? And we have this comprehension through the thoughts of God, and that is through the Spirit of God. We have now received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit that is from God, that we might understand things freely given to us by God, and we might impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual things with spiritual 
Hey, the natural man, he doesn't accept the things of the Spirit of God. They're folly to him. They're foolish to him. You're telling me that this universe and this world, as complex as it is, was made by a man by the name of Jesus who lived on this earth? Yeah. I'm telling you that. The, the, the one who's not spiritual to understand that, the spiritual person discerns all things and is judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord except to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ, y'all. And the mind of Christ is revealed very specifically in this, in this book. So here we are. I can walk outside and I can look at creation. I can look at you and your beautiful faces and how God is so creative and look around the room and how beautiful this site is. So many different people, so many different, um, well, I don't want to say sizes, but anyway, different, you know, everything, all right? They're just different. It's beautiful. Different voices, different gifts. Creator, God did that. I can look around the room and say, there, there has to be a creator. And John says, that's right. And he's communicated to us the logos. And he became flesh and has been revealed to us very specifically, not just in creation. Because in creation, I can know there's a God, but in his revelation, his exact word, I can know who this God is. And this God is Jesus Christ. And we've been given the mind of Christ, y'all, so that we can know more about Christ. This is what John's trying to get across. Sometimes we don't even know each other. I mean, man's a bundle of contradictions. Even when we come close to our friends, sometimes we're puzzled by some of the decisions they make, and they're puzzled by some of the things we do. We can't even know each other, but we can know our Lord, and we can know our Lord through not only the creation, but the revelation, which is Christ, because God has spoken. Therefore, what we know then is because he's spoken through creation that he is to be preeminent above all of it. He is then to be preeminent in our lives. He is to be first and foremost in our lives. And we sang it. We sang it. Do we mean it? Lord, be magnified on the altar of my life. Lord, be preeminent in the church. This is about you. This is about your glory. This is about Christ being the head. This place, these people, this place and these people are about Christ. We're the body and the bride of Christ. It is precious and Christ is to be exalted here. And in my life, he's to be exalted. And in my home, Christ is to be the center. He's to be the center of my home and my table and my conversation. He is to be the center of our leisure and our, our, our energy in, in, in our vacations even. Like everything. He's to be center. He's to be center of my world. And we live in a world that does not glorify Christ and it's broken in every way. And we have been called out not to reform this culture, but to preach Christ and Him crucified. John MacArthur said, redemption is what is needed. And that occurs on the individual, not societal level. The church needs to get back to the real task to which we are called, evangelizing the lost. Only when the multitudes of individuals in our society turn to Christ will society itself experience, experience any significant transformation. Our world needs Christ. He's got to be the center of everything we do. He's got to be the center of our work, our leisure, our holiness, our home, our time, our money. Creation discloses who Christ is, but revelation is disclosed that we can know him personally. We can know him personally through his word, and we can know him more by knowing his word more. Christ. How beautiful. In Romans, excuse me, not Romans, but Psalms, 
Chapter 19, we read how that creation reveals God. But then in verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making the simple wise. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. And there it goes. Christ can be known. Do you know him? He made you. He made you one of his creatures in his creation to come into knowledge of who he is, that you would one day experience the glory of God the Father in Christ. He prayed this way in in the high priestly prayer. He wants you to know him. You can know him. And you can know him more. You can know him more. You can know him more when you go out in the creation and you realize this world is not for our use alone. This world doesn't belong to us just to use for our own devices, but this world points to the ultimate creator, the ultimate glory. And our lives are built to glorify Christ. Our lives are built to show the world we magnify him. Let's pray. Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. Thank you that we have the opportunity today to think about your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Father, who was given the given this in the, the fellowship of the, of the Trinity, this joy of speaking everything into existence. The Lord Jesus Christ, who is second, God in the Godhead, but fully God, has given us now the Spirit, the Spirit of God to live inside of us. The Lord, to show us your truth, whether it be in creation where we can know you generally, but in Revelation, your word, where we can know you specifically. May we not confuse the two. May we use both of them for your glory, this world to honor you and your word to submit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.